Thrive Leadership Podcast in three, two, cue music. This is the Thrive Leadership Leadership Podcast. Podcast. It's a place to connect you to nationally acclaimed leaders, their insights, and ideas on how to help you thrive in every area of your life. 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 On today's episode, Bishop Kenneth Ulmer. I used to teach that the most important thing for a leader is vision. I don't teach that anymore. I believe more important than a leader sharing their vision is that you share your heart. Now your hosts, Brad Lominick and CJ Alvarado. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Thrive Leadership Podcast. We're here, we're present. CJ Alvarado, Brad Lominick in the house. It's good to have you on the journey with us today. CJ, good to see you. Good to see you, Brad. And as a reminder, here's what we're doing on the Thrive Leadership Podcast. We're sitting down with some of the most influential leaders today in business, in the church, in the nonprofit world, trying to pull out of them some nuggets, some things that are going to inspire you, help you in your leadership. And CJ, we want to make sure that leaders who are part of this community are on the journey towards healthy leadership, because that's what we're all about here at Thrive. That's right. But that's not the whole picture. Healthy leadership and thriving organizations. That's right. We believe wholeheartedly you can have both. Healthy leaders, thriving churches, healthy leaders, thriving businesses, healthy yep. leaders, thriving families, healthy leaders, thriving communities. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you're feeling like I'm putting it all into my business right now. I don't feel healthy. You got to listen to this podcast because we're talking to guys who have found a way, not to say it's easy, but they have found a way to do both. And hopefully you have uh, gone back and listened to past episodes with renowned leaders, Mm -hmm. different folks who have been part of Thrive Conferences over the years, and some of the people we've sat down in person to interview. We're really excited about this guest today, Bishop Ken Ulmer, who is one of the legendary leaders in the faith community within the city of Los Angeles. He's been leading Faithful Central Bible Church for 35 years, and there's an amazing story of their journey that he talks about in this interview, their church behind the forum, which is the legendary place of the Lakers during the 80s, you know, the Kareem days and the Magic Magic. Johnson days, and all that was part of the story of their church. And he's a wise man. If you've ever struggled with a vision or getting people on board with that Mm -hmm. vision, or maybe have just felt like you were in a season where you couldn't see vision clearly, you've got to listen to this interview. He's uh, written a new book that he'll talk about that's coming out this fall. So whenever you're listening to this conversation, it may be the summer or fall of 2017. You may be listening spring of 18. I feel like we're almost back to the future or back to the present or back to the past. But yes, we're recording in May of 2017. Yes. But you may actually be listening to this a year from now. Could be. If so, welcome on to the train. We're going welcome places. Uh, Bishop Ulmer, though, is uh, he's a longtime leader in the L.A. community, and we're really excited to have him here at Thrive Conference. We are recording backstage at the Thrive Conference 2017, so next year, 2018, you need to be here Yeah. to hear speakers like Bishop Ulmer, John Ortberg, Chris Hodges. Chris Brown, Bob Goff. Daniel Strickland, Ray Johnston. Andrew McCourt. It's been a great Thrive Conference, so we look forward to many more speakers and interviews and conversations, but for now, let's jump in to our conversation with the senior pastor of Faithful Central Bible Church in Los Angeles, California, Bishop Ken Ulmer. Thank you for being here, man. Great to be here. Great to be, great to be at Thrive. Yes, and you, you are uh, well-known by many, but for those who maybe listen to this conversation and say, now, I've heard of him. I think I know who that is, but tell me more. So give us a little. Highly debatable. Give us a little little bit of your story. I pastored a faithful Central Bible Church in Los Angeles for 35 years. 
Mm. Uh, been there 35 years, and uh, probably not 35 more, but quite a few more. We're, we're hoping we're, for 35 Yeah, we're, we're looking good. It's a great place in the middle of Los Angeles. We're not in the middle of Los Angeles. Actually, we're in Inglewood, right near the airport. Yes. And uh, again, we've been there, well, I've been there 35 years, so it's still growing. It's still doing well. It's a very lively place, um, very exciting place to be, and, and an honor to be a part of that, that ministry. Have you guys always been in that area? About uh, 20 years ago, we moved to that side of town. Okay. Uh, we were in the middle of the middle of South Central. We moved further west uh, about 20 years ago. And if my memory serves me correct, it's not like just some ordinary location, right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, we, we sold it. We <laughs> okay. sold it, yeah. We, and in 2000, we bought the Forum right. for the Lakers. When the Lakers moved downtown, Staples Center, we bought Forum. And we were there 12 years. And we sold it a couple of years ago to uh, Madison Square Garden. You know, Got it. So they, uh, and, and we always had a separate campus. Mm-hmm. Actually, we were only there uh, on Sundays, and we bought it uh, to use it as, a, as an entertainment venue. It was the center of the—it was one of five businesses that literally were the economic foundation of sure. Inglewood. Uh, they called them the Big Five. And uh, when the Lakers were going to move, it was going to be torn down. And so we, uh, t- I mean, tons of jobs and just what it was economically to the community. So we bought it really to save it. We never planned to keep it, never turned it into a, a church. As a matter of fact, a few months after that, about the same time, was when Joel Osteen bought the Compact Center right. in, in Houston. And a lady from, uh, a reporter from New York, I think it was, interviewed me and uh, about the two buildings. And she said, do you think this is a trend? You know, I said, well, I don't think it's a trend. But she was asking about the difference in the two. And, and my, my main response was, they're going to turn it into a church. And they did. I, Gutted it, remodeled it, beautiful place if have been there. But we never planned to do that. We only planned to run it as a, number one, we planned to run it as an entertainment venue. Number two, we planned to keep it 10 years. It was going to be torn down. As a matter of fact, the mayor of Inglewood says this, if we had not owned that building, the Rams would not be coming to Los Angeles. Wow. Because they're building the new stadium across the street from the, yeah. from the uh, Forum. And had the, the original developer was going to tear it down and make it into like a um, residential area. And they would have never built that stadium next to uh So it's because of you area. and your team that the Rams are now making the switch. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad. I was going to say, yeah, they get a good team, yeah, <laughs> when, they, when they regroup. And some great stories happened, man. Ten years of doing that. So we went during the economic dip yeah. in, in, in late 2000. Uh, probably every big name artist that ever was came through there. Great story. Uh, we were in a negotiation contract, uh, actually a negotiation dispute with one of the unions. It was a union house. And they picketed us for almost two months, about seven, six, seven weeks. And their plan was to uh, shut us down for Easter. You know, obviously a big day for us, but for the community also. And so they were going to shut us down, the unions. And so... While they were picketing us, Madonna was in the building rehearsing for her world tour. And, of course, with the unions, you couldn't do sound, you couldn't do lights, you sure. couldn't do you know, anything. Mm-hmm. And so Madonna heard about this, and she was furious. She couldn't believe that they would do a church like that on Easter. So she gave us her cameras, she gave us her lights, she gave us her sound, she gave us her whole set, and didn't charge us a dime. Oh but my goodness. She she saved that Easter, if there's a, a way to say that. Sure. Yeah, that's great. But stories like that, man, uh, of the kind of people who came through. As a matter of fact, uh, the acts that came through there, we would do two things. We would send them a note, and I would say a note saying we're praying for you, mm. and some kind of gift. And so I sent her a uh, basket of Christian books for her kids and uh, told her that we're praying for her. She sent a note back and said, I've been around the world. And I've never been to a venue where people said they were praying for me. Wow. wow. And they never gave a gift for my kids. 
I love how that ministry is intersecting with that, you know, entertainment thing. That's a pretty pioneering and innovative thing to do. Has that always been a part of your guys' DNA? Pretty much. We've had quite a bit of connection with the entertainment community uh, with or without that building. But, yeah, it's it's kind of a part of what we do. What's your practical advice to a leader who says, I really want to engage a community as a pastor, as a church leader— but really as a senior pastor, somebody who has a congregation, a church, and whether it's a large community, a small rural community, I really want to engage. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how to do that. Uh-huh. You know, I used, to, um, I used to teach that the most important thing for a leader is vision, you know, to have back of the story and write the vision mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, matter of fact, I have a book coming out in the fall about this. Um, and I used to teach that the most important thing was vision, vision. And so, as you said, let's say a guy has a vision about doing ministry in the community or whatever. I don't teach that anymore. I've learned some things in about 35 years. There's a passage in, in I think it's First Samuel, where Jonathan and his armor bearer, well, Jonathan has the idea, let's go into this camp, Philistines, I think it was, two of us, let's take it. And the armor bearer says, I am with you according to your heart. Do all that is in your heart. Now, Jonathan's vision was to take that camp. Vision didn't quite make sense. It was just two of them, you know. As a matter of fact, Jonathan says, you know, we serve a God. God is so big, he can save by many or he can save with few. So he knows his his great faith. But the armor bearer did not resonate with the vision. The armor bearer says, I'm not with you according to your vision. I'm with you according to your heart. And I believe more important than a leader sharing their vision, and it is important, is that you share your heart. In, in Habakkuk 2 and 2, remember where it says, um, write the vision? Yeah. Habakkuk 2 and 2, make it plain and, you know, where they can run and see it and everything. The vision of Habakkuk 2 and 2 does not begin in Habakkuk 2 and 2. The vision of Habakkuk 2 and 2 begins in Habakkuk 1 and 1. Habakkuk 2 and 2 talks about vision. Habakkuk 1 and 1 talks about the burden that the prophet saw. Hmm. Habakkuk 2 and 2 is the vision that he saw. Habakkuk 1 and 1 is the burden. And so I think... Maybe more important uh, for any leader is not so much the question, what is your vision, but what is your burden? And so I'm um, full circle about your, your issue about, about the uh, community. What's your burden? Jesus cried, as far as we know, probably more than ever. Jesus wept two times that we know of. He wept over a dead friend, and he wept over a dying city. He saw, uh, you know, the story about Lazarus, and Lazarus dead, and then he comes and everybody's grieving, and, and the Bible says Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. But he wept again when he saw Jerusalem, and the Bible says he looked, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Mm. His heart was for the people. His burden was for the people. The people were in the city. People were in the community. Yeah, but beyond that, he saw the people. And it's interesting because uh, there's another parable that says... Uh, Mixed in with the sheep, there are goats. The Bible didn't say he saw the goats. He saw the sheep. And so his burden was for them. And, and so now you spin off from that, uh, I'm the good shepherd, and, and mm-hmm. the shepherd piece. Uh, but that was his burden. That was his heart. Um, I have seen, and actually been through seasons of my own life, seen uh, friends of mine who had a clear, documented, codified vision that often does not get off the ground because the people don't see the burden in the heart behind it. It becomes something to do as opposed to what we are. 
becomes a task yeah. as opposed to what is our, I use your term, DNA, what, what is our passion? Yeah. And so I think that it is that heart. Uh, and that's tough for leaders because we, uh, for the most part, we, we're very guarded. Very few of us admit this, but leadership, and especially in ministry, it's a very lonely business. Mm-hmm. It's a very lonely business, and it almost seems like a paradox because many are standing before dozens or standing before hundreds or standing before thousands. Mm-hmm. It's a very lonely business. Very few of us have many friends. Very few of us open our hearts and our lives to anyone. We're very guarded sometimes paranoid, (laughs) but we're very guarded. And yet the truth is that if you don't share your heart, they won't know your heart. Mm. And sharing your heart demands an element of vulnerability. And of course, it's a small circle. You know, Jesus had, uh, he met multitudes. Uh, He had 12 out of the 12. He had four out of the four. He had three out of three. He had one. But then there were times when he went away by himself. So I think for me, one of the keys, and, and this is part of the book that I'm writing, is that you share vision, but you also share your heart. In the title of the book? It'll be called The Forgotten Baptism. It's based off of a theme of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where the Bible says, we were all baptized into Moses. I call it The Forgotten Baptism. You've never heard a sermon on that verse. No. You've never heard a Sunday school lesson on that verse. I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure I heard that concept. You've never seen it. Yeah. And, and we know about the other baptisms. Sure. I mean, that's, that's the battlefield, sure, you know, right. uh, water baptism. Right. You know, I'm convinced that there are several things that we will not solve. We're never going to agree with on this side of heaven. There are certain battles we're never going to agree with. We're never going to solve the issue of water baptism. You know, do you sprinkle them? Do you pour them? Do you duck them? You right. know, you know, <laughs> and if you duck them, how many times do you duck them? And what do you say when you duck them? You know, mm-hmm. is, is I duck them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost? Or do you duck them three times? One for the Father, one for the Son, one right. for the Holy Ghost. And so we're never going to agree on that. Uh, we're never going to agree on, we're not going to agree on spirit baptism. When do you get it? What do you do when you get it? And do I have to do what you did when you got it? Mm-hmm. You know, and we're not going to settle that. But there's another baptism that is seldom if ever heard of, and it's right there in 1 Corinthians 10. And Paul says, our forefathers were all baptized into Moses, and that's the context where he says, what happened to Israel is an example to us. The things that happened that uh, God is teaching us some things through what happened with Israel and, and Moses. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 10, they were all baptized. Same word for water baptism, same word for spirit baptism, exact same word, baptizo, exact same word. But it is the baptism. Well, who was Moses? Moses was God's sovereignly ordained leader of his people, guiding them into their destiny. Moses, God's sovereignly chosen. They didn't choose him. God chose him. And his assignment was to lead them into their destiny. And he was their leader. And the story of Moses is a story of um, a people baptized into a leader and the challenges that you have with that. They murmured, they complained, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But it's funny. They talked about going back, but they never went back because they were baptized into him. It is the spiritual intimacy of leadership. So this, I mean, this is teamwork. This is organizational leadership. It's it, it personal leadership. Off, yeah. Everything spins off of that. Yeah. Everything spins off of that. If a person can catch your, they can catch your vision without having your heart. Mm-hmm. If they have your vision without your heart, they will distort that vision every time. If they have your heart, they can always catch the vision. If they have the vision without your heart, they'll distort it. If they have your heart, they can always catch that vision. It's sequential almost. That, again, that vision is first. I know, I mean, you guys may know, 
I know of church splits. I know of church fights. I know of catastrophes in church because someone had a vision that they spun off and modified mm -hmm. and changed and took that vision. And many times, I know a situation in the Southeast where the guy was on the staff, oh gosh, eight, 19 years, and had that DNA in him, you know, of that vision, and took that vision down the street with about a thousand people and started the same thing with and just, you know, started another, another ministry, but he didn't have this guy's heart. If they have your heart, they can catch your vision. If they have your heart, they can follow you, not even if they don't understand the vision. Because vision, uh, vision gets cloudy. Vision assumes that you see, but sometimes you can't see what you're supposed to see. Sometimes you can't see what God is showing you, and vision gets cloudy, vision gets distorted. Uh, pick one of the prophets, pick Jeremiah, pick one, you know, I'm out of here, I'm not doing this anymore, man. You know? uh, why'd you call me to do this? Why do you, nobody's listening to me, why do this? And so sometimes that vision gets cloudy. If that vision is cloudy, and it often is, and there are seasons where you as a leader don't know where you're going, and you often don't, why should they follow you? Hmm. Why should they follow you as a leader in those seasons when you don't know where you're going, and there will be seasons where you don't know where you're going? How did I get here? What do I do next? Why did I get here? Am I doing something wrong? Am I off track? It's those seasons where that vision is cloudy. But why should they follow you when you don't even know where you're going yourself? But if they're following your heart, they're not with you because of the vision. They're with you because of your heart. The things that I see, um, shameless plug, I've never been to a place where I've seen a people, and especially with a church like this, I'm talking about Bayside and I, and I've been doing this man 40 years. I've never seen a place where the heart of the leader is so contagious. And I've been to a few of them. You've seen lots of leaders. I've seen them, a lot of leaders. I'm still, oh, I've seen them. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Again, it's bigger than the vision. It's not about how many mm -hmm. campuses you have. It's not about how many people you have. It's mm -hmm. not about you know the lights and and all that's good. It's bigger than that. It's the heart covering of the person that's leading you. And the release date is when. I'm never, you know, you know, you know, publishing We're not that. sure when people will be listening to this. Necessarily. Yeah, yeah. They're they're saying in the, fall, in the fall of 2017. Fall of 17. Fall yeah. of 17. Yeah. When you look at younger leaders, because uh, you're now in yeah. that stage of yeah. lots of young leaders around you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what are the things that you're sort of kicking them in the tail saying, hey, this is something that I need to inject into you to make sure you get it? Well, that's one of them, that what is your burden? I know guys and women who have a burden that's outside of their gifting. I know guys who have a burden that's outside of their anointing. I know a guy right now, his anointing. And then uh, the body affirms your call. The body affirms your gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. And this guy is one of the most gifted musicians that you will ever find. Worship leader par excellence, composer, writer, musician. And his passion is to pastor, as in senior pastor. He's pastored five churches that didn't make it. Five. Mm. Three that he got called to and they eventually let him go, and two that he organized, five. So it is not only my burden, but is that burden my gifting? Is that burden my anointing? I can often be interested in that and even like that, which is not my gifting. Um, you would ask me what I say to them. I would say, what is your burden and what is your gift? And your advice then is without those two aligning, and oh, they must, they must be like, the yeah. catastrophe comes when they're one or the other, when, when they're out of sync. 
Yeah. When they're out of sync, uh, and I could tell you, again, horror stories after horror stories of, of one or the other. Um, there was a guy in um, Texas who was a youth pastor, and uh, the senior pastor was about to fire him, literally fire him. The uh, youth department, teenagers, whatever it was, um, was dying. I mean, they had a backdoor revival, man. I mean, he took this and, and then he he killed. He was killing it, and the senior pastor was going to fire him. And so the senior pastor asked um, a guy who was on his on his el- one of his elders who was also at a, at a seminary, Howard Hendricks. I will tell you who it was. It was Howard Hendricks, mm-hmm. and Doctor Hendricks says, "Well, before you fire him, before you let him go, let, let me let me look at him." He said, "Well, Do- Prof, I thought that's that's what I want you to do." And so Dr. Hendricks goes and sits in the back of this guy's class at the youth department. And in about 10 minutes, he walks out. And he goes back to the pastor. He says, don't fire him. Move him. And the pastor said, what do you mean? He said, this guy, great gift of teaching, great passion of teaching. But he's talking to teenagers with, you know, words of six syllables and <laughs> philosophical, theological, you know, this is that, and we're going to intellectually turn it, you know. And so Dr. Hendricks says, Put him with the college group, and let's see how he does. Put this guy in the college group, man, he went through the roof. They ran out of space. The kids were sitting in the hall, you know. Um, His burden was to teach, but it was outside of his anointing. Mm -hmm. His anointing was with, in this case, with college kids. Mm -hmm. And they went through the roof. So you're right, those two must align. Those two must align. So I would also say, um, somebody around here asked me this a couple of days ago, yesterday when I got in. Um, Learn how to wait. Hello. You know, <laughs> learn how to wait. Isaiah, the prophet says, they that wait upon the Lord. It is probably the most difficult spiritual discipline that we'll ever have to learn. The discipline of waiting on God. The discipline of seeking the timing of God. God is a God of seasons. God is a seasonal God. You never want to be where God was. You never want to be where God used to be. You never want to be in the season of God doing what God used to do. Mm. You want to be in the nowness of God. What is God saying now? What is God doing now? Where is God leading me now? What is my assignment now? You never want to get stuck in yesterday when God is leading you into your tomorrow. Your greatest enemy of tomorrow is that you spend your today holding on to your yesterday. It will spiritually kill you. You will miss your tomorrow if you spend your today holding on to yesterday because you're trying to be where God used to be. You never want to be where God was. You want to know where is God? Lord, I want to be where you is. It's bad English, but it's good theology. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I am that I am. He never was, was. God never will be, will be. He just am. It's the amness of God that rests in the isness of God. He is now, and that's where I want to be. I want to know what is God saying now? Lord, what is your word for me now? What are my directives now? And now I'm back full circle because sometimes that's not clear. Sometimes that's not clear. Again, follow any prophet. Sometimes that's not clear. But that's what I seek. That's what I seek, Lord. I want to hear from you. I want to know where you're taking me. And sometimes, almost always, that's going to require patience. And so I learn to wait. I learn to wait. Tough discipline. Tough lesson. All of us in in ministry leaders know the tragedy of moving before God moves. Mm. Or when God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That phrase means God says, I will never go ahead of you and leave you behind, but I will never stay here and send you ahead of me. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Let's do this together. And that's a tough lesson to learn, man. I want not only God's revelation, I want God's timing. 
So it's learning how to wait. There's an old song in, in African-American tradition, old gospel song that says, teach me, Lord, teach me how to wait. Teach me how to wait. Tough lesson to learn. Mm. Valuable lesson to learn. The amness, the isness, the nowness. <laughs> I love that. Wow. Uh, Powerful. So uh, I would imagine there's leaders at this point going, I got to read the book because you told me what the, uh-huh. the challenge is, and now I need to figure out how mm. to find that alignment. Where do people find more information about you, your ministry, and, and all that that's happening? FaithfulCentral.com, okay. FaithfulCentral.com, and then you can click and click and get more stuff on me. But I'm, I'm pretty excited about this book on leaders. I've never done I've done seven or eight books. The last one was on The Passion of God. The one before that was on In His Image. And In His Image talks about how God reveals himself in anthropomorphic terms, which means God talks, man talk. And so God is the spirit. And yet the Bible talks about the hands of God, the ears of God, the mm-hmm. eyes of God. And so that's that. But then I come back and the, and the sequel is the passions of God, the God who grieves, the God who is jealous, the God who laughs, the God who sings, et cetera. It is. And so, so that's the passion of God. But this one is about leaders. Pretty excited about that. Lakers or Clippers fans? What day is it? Uh, <laughs> man, Lakers, Lakers. Uh, I, I was just with, uh, I was with Magic Johnson. It was right after he got this new position. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, I think the city is expecting big things out of out of the Lakers. Magic's a good brother. Man, loves the Lord. Matter of fact, his wife was at our church. Uh, she is a shameless plug. Get her book. Yeah. Her name is Cookie. Get Cookie Johnson's book on I Believe in Magic. And it's that whole story of how they went through the whole mm-hmm. HIV thing and mm-hmm. the whole Lakers thing. And both of them love the Lord. But Get Her book is called I Believe in Magic. But the whole city is waiting on him to do magic. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for being here at Thrive. And thanks for your service and, and for serving your community in the city of Los Angeles for so many years. You're an example, Bishop Bomer, of, of faithfulness to a not just a local congregation, but to a city. And we need more of that in our culture. So you're a hero to many, and we uh, respect and admire you, and we're looking forward to the book coming out. And thanks for being a part of this. Thank you. Bless you. What a great interview. What's your burden? I love that. Talking about your call, your vision, but what's your burden? Getting back to that emotional core. Yeah, I've heard strengths and passions in terms of the intersection of, you know, burden and calling or burden and anointing. Burden and gifting Uh, is the way... Bishop Almer was talking about. So much good stuff in that. And we encourage you, you know, take notes. First of all, there was a lot of good stuff in there. Maybe go back and listen again. There was so much tweetable, you know, the power of these phrases that are memorable. I mean, it was like left, right, left, right, left, right. Like getting hit by a boxer with jabs. Right. And then the big like right hook. He sets you up. He just has that rhythm. And most, a lot of great communicators do this Mm -hmm. when they're teaching or when they're being interviewed. There's this rhythm and their cadence that Bishop Omer has that has been crafted over so many years. Yeah. But just the power of the pause and the power of, you know, we had to work in the interview to not talk over him because of the fact that he is, you can see him developing the statement, but there's pause in, in letting it get out of his mouth. Yeah, exactly. So well done to you. And to you. We're going to pat each other on the back. Dude. That's right. I think we, if, if we wouldn't have, if we were a couple of knuckleheads, we would have just probably walked all over and jumped in and felt like we needed to ask a question before he dropped some of those leadership bombs on us. No doubt. I always appreciate, you know me, I always appreciate when our leaders get transparent. And he got transparent there for a minute, man, just saying how leadership can be a lonely spot and how he's worked through that. 
I hope that if you find yourself in that sitch, that you've found some kind of comfort in his words. You can always stay in touch with us, thriveconference.org, podcast at thriveconference.org. We want to remind people about Thrive 365. That's right. Thrive 365 is a great way to just encounter and engage with Thrive in between the conferences. Mm -hmm. You know, so you've got videos and resources, tips and hacks that are all available to you for $9.99 a month. Thrive 365 is going to nourish you daily. I mean, we're just jumping in here and there to give you a snack. If it's Costco, it's the little station that gives you the free... It's the lady with the hairnet on. (laughs) Who is handing out the uh, the free sausage biscuits? Right, that right. Jimmy Dean, the That's new right. Jimmy the, Dean the sausage Jimmy biscuits, Deans, right? Or the the little dessert or something? The new fruit jelly, right? But going back there to the back of Costco and get you one of those like seventy two pounds of beef that are going to nourish your family for the next sixteen weeks, right? Because you can't buy one. <laughs> you got to get like seventeen of everything when exactly, you go to Costco. Exactly. So that's Thrive three sixty five. You get to hear all kinds of great content from past conferences. There's new fresh content coming out. If you're delaying and going ahead and being a part of that, stop delaying, get on the website, thriveconference.org, find where Thrive 365 is and go ahead and sign up. Exactly. Be a part of that community of that subscription package because it's a great deal. And if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. Consider leaving a review for us as well just to help spread the word and all that we're doing here. As always, we believe that healthy leaders and thriving churches are crucial. So continue to do that, continue to lead, continue to learn. Until next time, this is the Thrive Leadership Podcast. This has been the Thrive Leadership Podcast. To download, re-listen to, and share this episode, go to thriveconference.org.